church. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to everybody still coming in. Uh, my name is Meredith, and my husband, Claude, and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church, and we just want to extend a warm welcome to everyone that's in the room today, um, everyone that's online or maybe traveling this holiday weekend. Um, we know there's a lot of things that are tournaments and different things that are taking us away, but thank you for joining us online. We're excited to see you there. Um, and hello to everybody watching or listening uh, later on in the week. Special welcome to any guests in the room. We know that it is not the easiest thing to visit a church for the first time, uh, to visit really anything for the first time. And so whatever we can do uh, to help you have a great experience this first time, we want to do that. Just so you know, we've prayed for you. Um, we're happy to have you here, and we just would love to serve you any way that we can. One way that we can serve you the best, hopefully, is by connecting with you. Now, this isn't a, a play to just get your information or to track you down or hunt you down. That actually really doesn't do a whole lot for us anyway. But if you share your information with us, we can follow up with you. We can send you a guest survey, get some feedback from you. Um, and then it just creates an opportunity for us to serve you, again, any way that, that you see fit. There are two ways, if you're out there and would like to share your information, now, this would apply to guests or anybody, like even if you're just updating your information. There is a card in the seat back in front of you. You can fill this out, put it in the offering box in the back on your way out. Um, that would be one way to, to do it. The second is electronically. If you would like to create a complete an info card that way, you can do so on our website on the Next Steps page. But also, you can do it using an app called the YouVersion app. You may know it as the Bible app. Um, and like I said, you can share your information on the app, but there's a lot of other things you can do there. You can follow along with the message. You can take notes right on the app. Um, and actually, there should be a QR code up on the screen, and you can make Centerway your church. Um, and that allows you to connect with us and keep up with reading plans and all those different things. So there's a lot you can do on the app. Go ahead, check it out, explore that. Um, and actually, you can give through the app um, and the, the giving piece. We would never expect our guests to give, but if you are a regular attender, consider Centerway your home and would like to uh, give in a certain way through the app. You can do it in the offering box. You can also do it um, through a website on the Give tab. Took me a second. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. Um, we are headed into week eight. This is week eight of our series called Being Built. I almost said new series. Like, it feels new to me. It's been an incredible series. It's been so good. But Being Built um, is, we are in week eight. Actually, next week will be our last week of this series. And this series, we're going through the first seven chapters of the book of Nehemiah. Then we'll take a little break for Advent and actually head back into Nehemiah in the new year. Um, and so I'm saying that because there are journals in the back. If you don't have one, they're free. You can actually go and get one right now if you'd like while I'm talking. Um, or if you're online, you can email us and we'll, we'll mail you one. Um, but if you get one, don't just think like, oh, there's only two weeks left of the series. We're going to stay in Nehemiah um, into 2024. So you can grab one of those if you would like. Um, some other resources that we have so you can connect and engage throughout the week. We have wallpapers that you can put on your phones or on your devices. We have a Spotify playlist that um, has all the songs we've done through this whole series. Um, in case something resonates and you just want to, like, listen to that truth throughout the week, we have social media that you can connect with and we post periodically. And then one of our biggest resources are, is our Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that our team curates. They're incredible. It takes you deeper into the text, goes into some words maybe in the Hebrew that we didn't cover in the message. And so um, it's just a great way to stay engaged throughout the week. We do not want at Centerway to come and have you walk in the building and just leave and then it's forgotten. Like the word of God is powerful and transformative and it's so good. And so we want to engage and apply it throughout the week. And so these resources are some of the ways that you can do that. If you are looking for those resources, you can find most of them on the messages page of the website. 
Now, um, what else is there for you? Next steps. We all have a next step. If you're in here and you would consider yourself not a Christ follower or you've been following Jesus for 100 years, um, every single one of us has a next step. And we'd love to help you do that. There is a next steps page of the website. In fact, there's a clarity workshop coming up. Maybe that's a good next step, a baptism, whatever it would look like. Um, but next steps page or next steps area in the back if you have questions about what is happening for you next. Now, I'm going to talk about a few things on the calendar page, and we don't always point these out, but I am going to point them out. Um, first of all, thing is that winter retreat for students, if you are in 7th to 12th grade, um, there's a winter retreat coming up in January. The deadline to sign up is the first week in December, so that's coming up. Um, on December 1st, we're having an Advent gathering. It's going to be worshiping, waiting, and praying. It's going to be a beautiful night of worship, time in God's presence. It's going to be a really simple night, um, but just a great way to kick off this Advent season. We're looking forward to that. That's a Friday night. Um, December 20th is our Christmas gathering. More details coming soon about that, but mark that down on your calendars. Um, and so that's all on the calendar page. We have two really great ways as a church. Centerway is such a generous church. Just love you guys so much. And um, we're always just thinking about what's happening outside these four walls. And um, so there's two really cool ways that we can do that. Both are happening next Sunday. So one week from today, next week is the last day to bring in your Operation Christmas Child boxes. So if you have packed boxes, bring them by next Sunday because we literally are bringing them that that evening or that next morning um, to the drop-off place. So that will be happening. Um, if you have questions, how to participate, how to pack a box, all of that is out in the lobby. There's signs and papers out there. And there's also a QR code going up on the screen that if you would like to pack an online box, so that, like, you don't have to go to the store and buy things. You actually just choose things and then pay for it online. That's the, um, the link right there to go ahead and do that. So, again, bring your boxes by next Sunday. If you have kids, we've, they've been talking about it in Centerway Kids. It's going to be great. The other thing that's happening next Sunday is our annual One Day to Feed the World offering. We are, our church is five years old. For those that don't know, we have literally done this every year um, since our launch. And it's just an incredible way to just set your mind on things that are happening around the world. There are literally people right now that maybe will get one meal a day or no meals. And we get to be part of, of helping people, helping Convoy of Hope specifically, which is an incredible organization, um, well-vetted, high ratings on, on their charity work. Um, but we get to help them. And they are not just in the U.S., but they're all over the world. And so we get to partner with what they're doing. 100% of the giving next Sunday goes right to them. How exciting is that? That there's little kids and families all over the world that we'll never meet, but we get to be a part of changing their world. So the, the idea behind one day to feed the world is the challenge is that you would give one day's wage, the equivalent of one day's wage, to change their every day. Now, do you have to do that? No, of course not. That's just the challenge that's put out there. Any amount you give would be incredible and bless so many people around the world and give them the opportunity to meet Jesus. How cool is that? But um, your kids obviously are not making a wage, but they're finding unique ways to raise money and do things. And so um, there's things on your seats, and there'll be um, an additional resource next week, an envelope and stuff if you want to calculate that. But anything that you give, um, we're just excited to partner with Convoy of Hope and the great work that they're doing. So finally, I know this is a lot of information, um, but finally, we just want to take a moment to honor our veterans. Um, we're so thankful for those that have served our country, and we're really thankful for the, the families that have sacrificed along alongside of them to release them to go and do what they do. So if you are here and you have served or you have a family member that has served, can you just give a wave and can we just thank them? 
And thank you to those that are online too. If you're if you're on the chat right now, maybe give a wave in the chat. We're so thankful for the sacrifice that our veterans and their families have made um, for our country. So thanks for for um, just honoring them. Finally, if you have questions, feedback, ideas, or need prayer, you can email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. That is the best way to get in contact with us, and we will check that throughout the week. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. I'm going to pray. Claude's going to come up. He's going to preach from the Bible, from the book of Nehemiah. And then after that, we'll respond in worship through singing. So why don't we pray together? God, we are so thankful for your idea, the church. And what a beautiful thing it is to be able to gather and know that we're not alone, to do life with other people, to come and hear the word gladly and let it change us, and then to go out into the world and be on mission together. We're so thankful for the power and presence of Jesus. And we just um, welcome you in this place. We say, have your way. This is not our gathering. We've made plans, but Lord, you established them. And we just want you to have your way in this place and to do in our hearts whatever you see fit to do. So we give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Meredith. That was a lot of stuff that you navigated well. I appreciate it. Um, as she mentioned, that she's my wife, in case you didn't connect those dots. So Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway and uh, want to welcome you. Uh, so excited that you are able to be with us this morning. As was already just mentioned, we're in week eight of a nine-week series entitled The Being Built being built. And uh, you can always catch up on previous weeks. If you happen to miss any of them, you can go to our website and check out previous weeks um, there. And you can kind of catch up on the story of Nehemiah. That's one of, not the downside, but one of the tensions of going through uh, a narrative like Nehemiah, a story like Nehemiah's is that like, you feel like if you miss a week that it's possible that you, there's a gap, or if this is your first time engaging with us, you might be like, wait, Who's Nehemiah? What are you talking about a wall? I don't get it. Um, you can always catch up, um, but uh, you will be able to, to gather something from today if this is your first time, so don't worry about that. Um, we're along the story of a gentleman by the name of Nehemiah that has responded to God's call to do a work to rebuild a wall around Jerusalem. And so uh, he is in the midst of that work. There has been a ton of opposition. And today we get to the kind of conclusion of the building aspect of what Nehemiah endeavored to do. Um, But before I talk too much about that, I want to let you know that today's uh, title, the talk for today is entitled For Diligence. For Diligence. So we are being built by God for diligence. Now, if you're not familiar with the word diligence, it means hard work. So we're being built by God for hard work. And uh, if you've been in Christian circles at all or in church at all, you might um, be familiar with the idea of works righteousness. Um, I'm going to explain as we go throughout the day um, that this... I don't mean works righteousness. If you don't understand or aren't familiar with that phrase, it doesn't matter to you, but I'm letting you know and putting your mind at ease if you are familiar with that phrase that um, that is not uh, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being built for hard work, and that does not sound compelling, right? (laughs) Like, I'm so glad I came to church. Some of your uh, spouses are probably looking at you like, you made me come today just to hear that I have to work more, right? (laughs) Uh, 
it's, I understand that at face value, the idea of being built for hard work can just create all this connotations. Like we need to work harder to earn our love from God. That's kind of that works righteousness aspect. We need to just work hard. There's, there's more to do. There's always more to do. Gosh, I'm so exhausted all the time. Um, I'm not talking about that in that context. Um, You'll understand as we move forward, so just bear with me as I explain what the text is teaching us. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 7, it says this, Now when the wall had been built, I, meaning Nehemiah, had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. Okay, so the wall is built. It's done. Everything is complete. The, the work that he has been sent to do for all intents and purposes is done. There's got to be this collective like, oh, like I can't believe it. The amount of work at, at their own cost. Some of them had to leverage some of their financial stability as you realize from previous weeks. Um, there's been a lot of sacrifice. There's been a lot of opposition. And now this work is done. The question I want to ask you as we move into the text a little further is this. How do you respond when you finish a project? How do you respond when you finish a project? We have an entire nation here that has finished a project. And what is their response? Now, if we just consider an answer to that question as the human beings that we are, and I'm fairly certain that that's about 100% of us, unless there's some dogs at home that are engaging online. Anyway, that was a little ridiculous. Um, the fact is, when it comes to uh, every single person, whether you are a Christian or not, and I realize that we always have people at different points in their spiritual journey engaging with us, I'm grateful for that. But as a human, Christian or not, we all have different responses to, to what we do when we finish a project, what it is that we do, what it is that our response is. Some of us have different forms of celebration. Some of us have different reactions to being like, oh, I'm done. There are, there are some of you that are so absurd that when you're done with a project, you do this thing called a high five. You look ridiculous. Um, there are some of us that are Wanting to tell you that for a long time, they're not willing to do it. I feel like the high five should only be used in moments and where there's a ball involved or some form of sport. Uh, But to be like, hey, oh my gosh, you did your homework. (laughs) What are you doing? I don't understand. Anyway, so uh, I'm I'm sure there's going to be so many of you that try to give me a high five now. It's going to be so painful. But uh, there's just different reactions. There's different celebrations. Um, we're all wired differently, right? Some of us, when we get to the end of a project, we just crash. Like we get to sort of that finish line. We're like, I'm done. Like I put in all the work. I did all the work. Now we're just going to celebrate a little bit. And the best way for me to celebrate is to just have a nap or to just, you know, binge watch Netflix until my eyes hurt or whatever. Like there's, there's some responses of just, I'm done. I've turned off. I've been on for too long. One of the things that I love, there's, you know, the New York City Marathon, and there's all these different marathons that are run. I I, um, enjoy, I don't enjoy the pain aspect of it, but I enjoy when people have gotten to the point where they just absolutely clearly have lost control of their ability to control their body, you know? Like they're finishing the race, and there's something entertaining about the wobbly, like... (laughs) 
They're running, but you see the determination in their face, like they're going to finish. And you've all, you know, seen the moments on television or in social media or whatever, where, where people are like collapsing and then they stand up and they're falling and you see someone coming in the background. You're like, come on, dude, you've run way too long, way too far. Don't let that guy pass you in the shoot. Like, come on. And uh, you see these amazing moments where people help others across the finish line. And there's just, for some of us, that's kind of the picture of completing a project is like, I, I laid it all on the line and just boom, falling on the cement, crash. That's one extreme. But there's another extreme. There's the extreme of those of us that the minute we are done with something, we are on to the next task. Like the minute it's done, you're exhausted and everything, but what's next? And that doesn't mean that you don't crash, right? And the reason why I bring up the marathon is because there's interviews with people that literally collapse and then they come over and they're like, that was an incredible race. It was your best time yet. What are you doing? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to spend tonight celebrating, you know, they're weeping and everything. Families around, I'm going to celebrate this tonight, but tomorrow I begin training for the Boston marathon. You're like, what is wrong with you? You do this professionally? No. I actually have a full-time job. I have 17 children, and I'm also a farmer. So what are you trying to prove? But there's some of us that just we're to the other extreme. Like when something is done, we get to the next task. Like I said, obviously there's extremes, and I am very entertained when I have the ability to watch these two extremes interact in kind of a moment of figuring out what should be done. One wants to be absolutely done and the other person is communicating what needs to be done next. Uh, Meredith and I waited about eight years before we decided to start having children. Uh, And so I would oftentimes find myself helping friends out that had kids. They were around our age, but they had kids already. And uh, one time in particular, uh, (laughs) I was doing work, helping uh, a young couple at their house. I mean, my age, but we were young at the time. And uh, we're doing some work around their house and uh, I'm a pretty handy guy, so they were really excited to have me help out. And so I'm there. Um, they have a, a young baby at the time. And so <laughs> we're doing work, and predominantly I'm working with a husband who's a friend of mine. But uh, every once in a while, his wife would come in, and she would work just as hard. Like we were doing a lot of work uh, around the house. And so we're working and working and working, and she's coming and going as we're working on this project. And we finally get done, and it took longer because it always does, right? So it took longer than we expected. We're done with the work and uh, we go into the living room. We sit down on the couch and he's just, he's done. He turns on sports center and uh, his wife comes in, like I said, who has put in a lot of work as well. She comes in and starts talking to him about what could be done next. Like, here's the thing, like, here's the next project at the house. You know, you should talk to Claude for a little bit about blah, blah, blah. And so she starts talking about this thing and he's just staring straight ahead. Like not even looking at her, just staring straight ahead. And as she's talking, he goes, you know, Claude, there's something interesting about my wife. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. Have you ever witnessed a car crash, but you can't look away? You know what I mean? Like, oh my gosh, that's terrible, but I'm still staring at it. It was kind of like that. I'm like leaning in. He's like, uh, for some reason, no matter how much she does work, and he's like, because it's clear today, and he just kept looking at Sports Center. It's clear today she has contributed a lot to the effort. It's like, yeah. He's like, she doesn't want to just 
relax and catch her breath, she has a list. It's not written down. It's in her mind. No, it's in her soul. She just constantly runs through it. And he's, you know what's amazing about this list, Claude, is it will never be done. I will die, the list will remain. You will die, and we will replace you with another friend to help us do the list that is never ending in her soul. I'm like, holy cow. And she's like, will you knock it off? She's like, I, I'm fine helping. I want to do the work. She's like, there's just more things to be done. He's like, I know. Can we just catch our breath? Can we just relax? Can we bask in the moment that we did something? And she's like, sure, sure. And so she walks away, and uh, of course, I was absolutely entertained, and it's a perfect snapshot of these extremes kind of coming together. How do you respond when you finish a project? So what's next? Is it a version of both? Sometimes it's like, oh, I celebrate. For others, it's like, but when I do this, I need to get to the next thing. Now, the temptation is try to claim that one extreme is right and the other extreme is wrong. In fact, some of you are getting a little judgy as I explain the two different extremes. You're like, man, like, what is wrong with that guy? Like, just do the next thing. Like, why not just get more stuff done? And uh, some of you are like, what is wrong with that spouse? Why would they ride each other like that? That is ridiculous. <laughs> and then some of you is just too close to home and you're staring straight at me because you're so nervous that your loved one is going to try. <laughs> you're like, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> Whatever needs to be done, I'll be a part of. The thing that's interesting is there's not a right or a wrong. Society would label the two extremes. Society, the, the society that we live in, would, would say, listen, if you're to the one end, you're kind of lazy. Like, what's your problem? Just do the next thing. Do the work. There's something left to be done. Just do it. Don't be so lazy about it. And then the other extreme is is labeled as hardworking, like diligent, focused. Like, man, they're just, they're just a hard worker. They get things done. And so in our, in our society and also in some of our minds, we elevate one over the other. The thing that's interesting is that people that are fine with the idea of relaxing when something's done, they elevate that just as much. They're looking around the room going, I will live longer than the rest of you. So you're stressed out about the work that needs to be done? I'm relaxing and gaining life. So there's this whole tension that society puts on us. I want to tell you that the, the thoughts about right and wrong in regard to this is off. You see, I included a very important detail when I was telling you the story. The important detail is this. The project was finished. In the scenario, the project was done. The work had been completed. But still... For some people, when there's, a, when there's a list to be done, when there's more work to be done, the fact that something has been completed is simply not enough. The work is done. Both extremes finished the project. They did the work. Both responses are fine. There's nothing wrong with wanting to relax a little bit before you start the next project, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with processing the next project that needs to be done. The issue is perspective. Perspective that's trying to navigate when are we done? When are we done? In other words, if the person is saying, hey, listen, this is the next piece of the project, this is the next piece of the project, it's because either they have another thing to be done or they don't understand that the project is completed. 
perfect example is like a house. You're building a house. There are certain parts of that project that you complete along the way, but the goal is to build the house. So although you're done with maybe the flooring or you're done with the bathroom, you're not done with the house. So it's perspective. When are we actually done? You see, when we're being built by God, as we're in this series, when we're being built by God, we realize that the work God has called us to as followers of Jesus is not done until we breathe our last. Now, for some of you, that's like a daunting task, and you could already be like, what? Bear with me. If you're a follower of Jesus, the work that we have been called to is not done until we believe, until we breathe our last, until our race is run, if you use Paul's words, the Apostle Paul. So it's a perspective change, right? Now all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's work to be done. So get this, diligence in the life of a Christ follower, in the rhythm of the way we engage God. And so I'm taking the way that we function within the world and I'm saying it only holds obvious to say if we functioned this way in the world that we would function this way in the way that we relate to God and our spirituality. And so get this, diligence is a daily decision in Christendom, within the world of our faith. When we wake up in the morning, we decide whether or not to be diligent. Let me go back to the story. I think it'll help out because we're in the mud a little bit. She comes back into the room and uh, he, he wasn't complaining about her. They had a very healthy relationship. It was more, you know, tongue-in-cheek. We were laughing and joking around. And uh, we're watching a game, and she comes back in, and she said, uh, so I'm, I'm just curious. I'd, I'd hate to interrupt as you're relaxing from the work that you've completed. And uh, he's like, here we go. And I was like, yeah. She said, I'm just, uh, I'm just wondering if, uh, if I could bother you to do a, a couple of other things. Um, you had mentioned that you were going to put something on the barbecue for dinner, and, and that's something you said you would do, but I don't, I don't want to, to bother you with more work. Are you still the person that barbecues, or is your work done for the day? And he's like, this is amazing. And I was like, oh, you don't understand. This is amazing. And, uh, she said, also, um, a moment ago, you heard our child crying and um there's a dirty diaper so are you still a dad or are you done with that too and then she started laughing hysterically and he's like all right all right i get it and we laughed or whatever and so we stood up and i turned on the barbecue the grill and she started to he headed into the the kids room to change the diaper like it it was like i said a tongue-in-cheek healthy relationship it was more a snapshot into something that I think needs to connect to our life. The connection is here. There was work that he was doing, but his identity drove him to not be complete with the work that was larger. In other words, task completed, still a father that requires work. Still a husband that requires work. If we aren't careful, we'll assume that we are done with spiritual tasks or obligations and forget that we're still a Christian. You see, 
are you still a follower of Jesus? I mean, I hate to bother you. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I went to church. Oh, I know. Congratulations on, on attending. Um, are you still following Jesus? Don't want to bug you with some responsibility attached to that whole thing. <laughs> and I'm speaking to myself as much as I am to you. It's, it's, the, it's the grouping that we're all in. It's the tension that we should all be living in. Is our identity child of God that's where Jesus is the center of our life informing everything else? Or is it just one little section? You see, because if, if being a follower of Jesus is one little section, then it would make a lot of sense as to why the other areas of our life are out of balance. It would make a lot of sense as to why the other areas of our life we look a lot more like what the world would call a hypocrite. Because we say, well, when we're in this wedge, we function like a lover of Jesus. But when we're outside of that wedge, kind of a dirtbag, kind of like worldly, kind of about me, kind of. But if we put Jesus in the center and we say, God informs the way I deal with relationships. God informs the way I deal with work. God informs the way I deal with my finances, my kids, my spouse, my friends, my parents. Then all of a sudden, we, we're held to the center core and grounded by this reality that drives the way we function. It doesn't mean that we're perfect means we have perspective we have perspective it's way way easier to just relegate an aspect of our life to one section of the pie so then when we're in in our relationship with our spouse or whatever we, we can be as godly and mean and venomous as we want to why well because right now i'm not a christian i'm angry <laughs> Right now I can be selfish in regard to my finances. Right now I can, I can be a really cruel boss because I'm not in that quadrant. You see what I'm saying? It's out of balance. It's perspective. You're still a Christian whether you're working or relaxing. It means you're still diligent. It means you're still diligent. Now, some of you might say that I'm over-spiritualizing the way we live our lives. I'm over-spiritualizing situations. But the reality is Colossians chapter 3, it's verses uh, 23 and 24. Make it really clear. Make it really clear that whatever we do, we should do it for the Lord. Whatever we do. So that means when we're at work, if we consider ourselves follower of Jesus, and again, if not, you're processing this. And I, and I would say this. If you're with us and you are not a follower of Jesus, more than likely your largest objection to believing in God is a misrepresentation of God. And so you're looking and evaluating the, the way others function and you're saying like, man, just seems like it's a, a part of the pie but not really transformative to their life. Okay, So that's the tension that most of us deal with and just so we're all on the same page, <laughs> the people that are navigating what it looks like to keep the gospel the center of our life are dealing with that same tension internally. Like we have imposter syndrome. <laughs> because we know enough about the transformative work of God that we're like, man, that we really should have functioned differently there. And so it's tension on both sides. Are we really doing everything that we do for the Lord? We're doing it unto the Lord. Because if we're doing it unto the Lord, then it doesn't matter if our boss is a jerk. Because we're not doing it for our boss. We're doing it unto the Lord. If we're really doing it unto the Lord, then it, then it provides us perspective in every area of our lives. 
So maybe when we're talking about this idea of diligence being a daily decision, we're talking about whether or not we will do the will of the Lord today. Today will I choose to do the will of God. Today will I, will I choose to, to lay my life before him and say, God, what do you want me to be about? How do you want me to function? You see, I'm talking about perspective that should inform how we live. And this brings us purpose. Some of us are out here, we're looking for purpose with our one and only life. And if we would just connect the dots of what it is that God has called us to do and be, all of a sudden we have purpose. And we have clarity about the decisions that seem muddy. Because if we can connect what it is that the Lord would have us to do with the decision we have, suddenly we have an idea of what we should be all about. There's something rather profound happening in the text that I just read. I'll reread it. I'll reread it. <laughs> reread it. That's awesome. Verse 1. Now when the wall had been built, it's done. I, Nehemiah, had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. Now, at face value, it might seem like, okay, they finished the work and now he's doing the next thing. If you dig a little bit deeper and understand sort of the the context of the society at that time, the roles that he's articulating are roles associated with the temple, with the temple, where it is that they would gather to engage with the Lord himself, with God. So these people are typically a group of people that are called worshiping officials, for lack of a better phrase. The other thing that we need to understand, and so when we're talking about the Levites, they were the pastoral vein, the, the, the group of people in charge of the temple and caring for it. They're also really tired because they've been working for 52 days straight, according to the previous text, building a wall, not part of their job, like not in their job description. So these people have been working on the wall tirelessly, And now they're being told to go and guard the city. Not on their job description. Once again. They're tired from having built the walls. And now they're being told to guard the walls. It doesn't make sense. And they should be complaining. They would be within their absolute right to say, "Uh, listen, I was was encouraged to be a part of the building team. (laughs) I did it. Okay, I worked really hard. I'm done now. I'm done. I'm going to relax. Everybody just calm down. They should be complaining that there's more to be done unless, unless they have an eternal perspective. If they have an eternal perspective, then they understand two things. One, the work isn't done yet. They're still alive. So the wall might be done, but their work's not done. They're still air in their lungs perspective this idea of living life intentionally this idea of living life according to the way god wired you what his will and purpose is for your life they're not you're not done you don't arrive no god gifted you he wired you there's a reason you're walking around what is the work that god has called you to Are you engaged in it? So that's the first thing that they're aware of with your eternal perspective. The second thing is that God requires them to continue to make themselves available for anything he asks. For anything he asks. Do we live our life in such a manner that when there's opportunity for us to be a part 
of what it is that God has called us to, that we lean in? Or do we lean out with a whole lot of reasons? Like, oh, I'm super busy with the things. So, yeah. I I really, you know what, I'd love to and I want to, but I can't because, um, yeah, because I'm not going to. But really is the actual reality of it. And we compartmentalize our life and we, we justify and we create things. Like, listen, I, I totally, I'd be there, but people have been, you know, they've been mean to me. So, hmm. I mean, yeah, people are mean. But also, I would, I would do whatever it is that you, that you ask. I would totally be on board, God. It's just, uh, I only have so much money and you know how bad I am with it. So, you can't have any. You see what I'm saying? Like, it sounds ridiculous, and I'm making it sound ridiculous, but that's because those are all the things that I have said in my life before, that we have said in our life before. We can act like we don't and say those things or think those things, sit here and be like, oh, I'm so holy. No, God, my life is available to you in, in every way. Just don't ask for these 17 things over here. <laughs> no, we, we all have areas of our life where where God's trying to unearth things, where, where there's still work to be done. You don't arrive. And here's the thing. If you think you've arrived, if you think, no, really, I'm there, then you're struggling with a sense of self-righteousness that means there's really deeper work that needs to be done. You've elevated yourself to a position where you think that, that you don't have to be available to what it is that God asks because of what it is you've already done. Don't get me wrong. He's super impressed. Tongue in cheek, right? Because we're all there. If I'm stepping on your toes, I hope I'm stepping on your toes. Because the the gospel and being in community that is gospel-centered should at times offend us. It should rub us the wrong way. It should cause us to say, wait a second. In this area of my life, I'm actually pretty selfish. I don't want to talk about it. And I don't want him to talk about it from the front of the room. But you know what? I'm probably talking about it because it needs to be talked about. Because God is building you. Because God is building me. Because God is building us. Because there's something eternal to be done that is larger than our opinion and our comfort. It's eternal. And God has called you to the work. And so will you be diligent and make yourself available and say, God, I'm opening my hands before you, whatever it is, because here's the deal. One more time, perspective. You have air in your lungs today because of the grace of God. You have talent and ability because of God's grace. You have finances because of the intellect, wisdom, hard work, physical ability that who gave you? God. It's not yours. It's all his. Change your perspective. And suddenly, when we change our perspective, we're able to go, okay, God, it's all yours. How do you want me to steward that which you've given me so that I can enjoy the rest of what it is that you've blessed me with, knowing that at any point, whatever you request, whatever you require, you can have. That's why we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was last week. How much is too much? Well, when you're allowing God to take whatever it is he wants, there's no such thing as too much. You can enjoy a ton. Why? Because at any moment, if God requires it, you can give it. Because it's, it's got no grip on your life. 
God requires them and he requires us to make ourselves available for anything he asks. So you see, putting temple personnel in these roles is actually an indicator that they now view the city itself as the holy temple of God. It's profound. It's profound. Because people could have been like, no, 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 I, I work at the temple. And Nehemiah's like, right. And this is the temple of God. And in fact, in doing so, he actually fulfills a, a, a prophetic word by Jeremiah, chapter 31, where, where he says that the, the whole city of Jerusalem will become the temple and dwelling place of God. Like, there's this call to be on mission with what it is that God has called them to do and be about. Could you imagine living your life in such a way where you say, okay, I'm yours, Lord, and, and my house is the dwelling place of the Lord. And so wherever you direct me and whatever you require of me, it's all yours, Lord. It's all yours. I want to be a part of something eternal. The response to completing something is to give it back to the Lord and worship him. That's their response. Don't miss that. The response that's taking place here to put the temple guard at the front gate is to say, now we have consecrated the entire city of Jerusalem unto the Lord. Would we get to a place in our life where we realize that diligence is not about struggling and trying harder, but instead getting to a place that at every battle that is won, we give it back to the Lord and we worship him. Instead of saying, no, 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 it's my hard work that earned this. It was my effort. Look at the disaster that I avoided. No, God, because of your grace and your mercy. And so we will worship you and we will lean in and we will re-up and declare ourselves available yet again to see the goodness of all that you do. You see, celebration is good and it's biblical. And so I'm not saying like go from hard thing to hard thing and suck it up and work harder. No, I'm talking about a biblical expression of celebration, which we exude at Centerway. We love to celebrate. It's one of our because and therefores. But celebration, biblical celebration is in fact worship to God for that which he has done. And an awareness that there's still work to be done. If we go on to verse two, it says, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. Faithful and God-fearing. Nehemiah, arguably one of the best examples of biblical leadership, reveals that his criteria for leadership is people that are stable with a godly biblical perspective. So, Get this, based on what it is that I've explained and what it is that we agree upon in in a general sense within our world is that we oftentimes have it backwards. We think diligence means we need to work hard for God. We need to try harder. We need to do more. And in the midst of it, we get crushed. We get crushed because it's just too hard. When people say things like, I tried going to church. I tried to be a Christian. It was just too hard. And they don't understand. There's a gap in their theology. It's not about our effort. And so we get crushed if we think that being in relationship with God is about hard work and and earning for God. And so oftentimes we avoid it altogether. Because that thought 
is corrupt. It's poor theology. And it might sound like I'm saying a contradiction to what I just said. Like, wait, you said work hard. You said be diligent. Now you're saying don't work hard? Track with me for a second. If we do for God, then when, it, when difficulty comes, we think he owes us. I did this for you, God. What are you going to do for me? What? Yeah, I mean, like, isn't this like an exchange here? Like, I did the things. So now you do for me. And so when I pray, I just, hey, God, remember? And we get to a place where we lean into works righteousness and we say, listen, I'm going to ask you for things, God, and, and you give them to me because of, the, because of my track record of my behavior. Then when we don't get what we want, we get mad at God. Because God didn't hold up his part of the bargain. Are you even real? You see the devastating implications of that theology? When we think we're bringing something to the table, suddenly we think he owes us. No. The gospel. The gospel teaches us that Jesus did what God requires of us. And then he extends to us the grace that he earned with his death and resurrection. God doesn't owe us because what it is that we need is already done. Jesus did the work. You see, so diligence means the work of salvation has been done. And so we will do the hard work of allowing the gospel to change our perspective. That's the diligent part. The diligence is connected to spiritual diligence where we would say, okay, I'm going to get the truth of the gospel and I'm going to, to work at putting it into my heart and mind. I'm going to lean in and, and allow that which is intellectual to get down into my heart and, and eventually become an extension of my hands to what it is that I do in this world. That it's not just, no, God, you come into my heart, but I don't really understand all of the implications of that. And so there's no extension to the way that I live my life. It's just, you got me out of hell. Thanks, man. Good looking out. So, what do you guys want to do? Or, we become so intellectual in what it is that we understand that we get puffed up in the knowledge of who God is, and all of the theology, and all of the thoughts, and all of the understanding, but we never allow it to saturate our heart. And so as a result, when God asks for something, we're not sure we should give it. I mean, unless we're intellectually self-righteous and then we'll check the boxes of what's required. We'll do the spiritual, pharisaical things. Or we will get so puffed up in our mind and our thoughts of what it is that needs to be done that we'll allow it to go to our hands and we'll be philanthropic for all the wrong reasons. I'm a good person, aren't I? Like, man, you're missing it, but... God wants us to take that which we know and allow it to settle in our hearts so that when we do, we do because of who he is. That it's actually an outflow. Diligence means the work of salvation has been done. And so we will do the hard work of allowing the gospel to change our perspective on, wait for it, everything. Everything. It changes everything. I said earlier that we get it backwards because get this, the hard work of spiritual diligence, the 
hard work is spiritual diligence and the outflow is living on mission. Oftentimes in Christian circles, we do the opposite. We say, listen, if I just act like a Christian, if I just do the work of the Christian, if I just become a Christian, if I can just control the way I behave, especially in the room, I mean, outside of the room, I'm not so good and my family kind of sees it and it's sort of jacking up their theology and their perception of God, but that's okay. I'm just trying to stay out of hell. (laughs) And if I can do that good enough, then eventually something in my life will change spiritually. And that is backwards, and it's exhausting, and it's crushing, and it's confusing to the world around us, and it's confusing to us if we're honest with ourselves, because we know how bad we are. But if we get it the way that the gospel communicates it, then suddenly we can say, okay, Jesus did that which we could never do. And if we allow the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for us to settle in our heart and our mind, then suddenly the outflow of that is living on mission. It's the outflow. It's the byproduct. If we could just grasp that, then we would be people that love because Jesus loved us, that forgive because Jesus forgave us, that are generous because God is generous with us. But sometimes, oftentimes, myself included, I'm generous because I know I should be. I'm nice because I should be. I forgive because I'm obligated to. You know, like, that is so corrupt. And so the hard work is spiritual diligence to say, God, allow the truth of the gospel to wash over my heart, Lord. Help me be a person that's slow to anger because of the love and forgiveness you've extended to me. God, would you help me be about the things that break your heart? Would I not, would I not be so wrapped up in the busyness of this world that I walk right past the hurting? Think about that. Imagine if... Imagine if we understood that to the depth where it transformed our heart so much that it impacted the way we live our lives day day in, day out, day in and day out. Gosh. We, We do the work of the ministry because it's an outflow of an understanding of the gospel. Unless we've forgotten that we're Christians. How did you forget that? That we're followers of Jesus? For those of you that are? We can't fake faithful and God-fearing. It's a byproduct of the one who made themselves available to be built by God for diligence. When you make yourself available to be built by God for diligence, then the byproduct of that is faithfulness and God-fearing. Verse 3 goes on and says, And I said, meaning Nehemiah, I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut the bar, uh, shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. What Nehemiah is saying is, although this wall has been completed, it doesn't mean that it's the end of opposition difficulty will come. I don't have to tell you that because you get it. You're living in the life. (laughs) Opposition comes. The question is, how will you respond when opposition comes and are you prepared for the reality of it? We must remain spiritually diligent, both personally and corporately. I want to tell you, I know that in some ways, in communicating the text, it feels like I'm like browbeating us all, you know, like (laughs) here's all the things we do wrong. Here's all the things that we do wrong. 
But the good news of the gospel is what washes over that. You don't have to be struggling to do the hard work. The hard work of spiritual discipline is to say, diligence, sorry, is to say, God, I'm available for you to do in me whatever it is you want to do. And that should cause you to be, okay. I I don't have to muster up the effort to change the poor decisions that my kids have made. I don't have to muster up the effort to try to control my spouse. I don't have to try to, to work through and navigate the implications of my workplace environment. No, the, the thing I should be about, the thing I should dedicate the diligence of my life to is allowing the truth of the gospel to transform my heart and mind. Because if my heart and mind is transformed, then I will come to my spouse with love slow to anger, slow to offense, quick to forgive. Resolution will come. I can be a model of what it looks like to love and support while discipling my kids and my nieces and my nephews and my grandkids and my parents and all of the things. It's an outflow. It's an outflow. Rest in that. It's what Jesus is talking about. Come to me and rest. My burden is light. And if you're struggling with work righteousness, you're like, no, your burden is not light. It is crushing my soul. God's like, "Uh, you don't get it then. I've done it. I've done the work. Walk in the freedom. We say every week that the text requires something of us. And the thing that I want us to ask ourselves is we go into a time of worship, a time of celebration for all that God has done. The question is this, where in my life do I need to remain spiritually diligent? Where in my life do I need to remain spiritually diligent? If you would bow your heads or if you want, you can close your eyes, but you certainly don't have to. I'm not, I'm just making it so you're not distracted as the worship team comes forward. As they make their way forward so that we can respond to what it is that we've heard in worship and just declare ourselves available. And in maybe some cases even repent for the areas that we've turned um, something that is intended to resting in the Lord to something that has become more like striving. As we sit quietly, I want to welcome those of you that have not asked Jesus to become your personal Lord and Savior. You wouldn't articulate yourself as a follower of Jesus. I want to simply provide opportunity for you to do that. And I'm not going to make you raise your hand or come up or anything like that. This is a a time where I want to challenge you to consider responding what it is that maybe the Lord may be laying on your heart. The idea of the implications of the truth of the gospel and acknowledging that the sacrifice God made, he made for you. And right now in the quietness of your mind, if that's you and you want to surrender your life to him, it's as simple as praying a prayer. And it doesn't even have to be specific words. It's, it's acknowledging that Jesus died for your sins. And so in the quietness of your mind, a willingness to say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but you died for me. Would you forgive me my sins? Would you come and be the Lord and leader of my life? I want to follow you. Something like that, some words along those lines, an acknowledgement and ask for forgiveness and a declaration of his leadership in your life. 
If you're praying that prayer for the first time today, I would love the opportunity to talk to you at the Next Steps area. There are other people that will come up and talk about other things. You won't be sticking out or anything, but I'd love to talk to you about Next Steps. Eric will make himself available for prayer at the end up here. If you want to talk to him about Next Steps concerning the decision that you've made, you can certainly do that as well. If you're watching live online right now, you can click request prayer if you just prayed that prayer. And uh, you'll go into a private chat with one of our pastors and they'll talk to you about the next steps of what's available to you as you learn to follow Jesus. If you're watching or listening later on, you can always reach out via email or you can reach out through our website, the next steps page. We'd love to walk alongside you in the decision that you've made. For others of us, if you are already a follower of Jesus, if you've already made that declaration and you're navigating what it looks like to allow what you understand in your head to to come into your heart, where do you need to remain spiritually diligent? Spiritual diligence, does it need to inform the relationships that you have? Is it time for you to, to start praying and, and asking the Lord to do what only he can do in you so that you can, can bring some healing into the relationships that you're navigating? Do you need to be spiritually diligent with your time? Just say, all these things that are pulling from my time, God, I'm leaning into you. It's, it's time to, to pray more and more intentionally. Is that the spiritual diligence is to, to, to realize like I need to pray more about the situations of my life. Not that God would change those circumstances or those situations, but God would change me in the midst of them so I could be his hands and feet, that I could be the change agent in those circles of influence. Because we need to realize like there's still a spiritual battle all around us. There's still air in your lungs. The the need for spiritual diligence, it still exists. Opposition is still around us. And for others of us, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, no, I, I do this, I really do. I, I allow the truth of the gospel to inform the way I function. Every day I declare myself, avail- myself available. I do the best that I can to do all of the things that you've said, Claude. To you then, I would say, do you need to be spiritually diligent in the way you approach missional activity, your spheres of influence. I don't mean missions going to another country, although it might be that, but I mean the spheres of influence. Are you a person that is looking for opportunity to engage those that so desperately want hope and peace? Are you living on mission or have you bought into the lie that it's just you work, you work, you work, you gain, 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 and then you die? No, it's, it's more than that. And it's not too late. So where in your life do you need to remain spiritually diligent? Let's go into a time of worship together.
first going to sing one more song, and these songs are really all talking about the work that Jesus has already done for us. And we're just going to end singing about the firm foundation that he is for us. Amen. Let's celebrate together.
right. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. He won't fail. Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that we don't, that we don't have to uh, work out our salvation. That we don't have to uh, conjure up the goodness. <laughs> but Lord, that, that you will not fail us. That you are present in our lives and that our spiritual dil- diligence looks like increasing our proximity to you. That if we would just increase our proximity to you, if we would just speak the truth of the gospel to ourselves, that the outflow of that will be transformative, not only for us, but everyone we come in contact with. We're so grateful. We're so grateful that we can rest in you. And so, Father, I pray that as we leave this place, we would contemplate how we can create margin within our lives to do the hard work of increasing our proximity to you so that everything else would just be an outflow. Grateful that we can live life to the fullest with peace that passes all understanding, with joy that has a source, God. So we declare ourselves available to be a part of all that you're doing. We ask that you protect us as we leave this place and go our separate ways, as we go on mission in our spheres of influence, that we would be your hands and feet, that we would acknowledge divine appointments and participate in them, Lord, that we would lean in. I pray you'd protect us as we come back next week to celebrate all that you have done in our lives. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want prayer for anything, as I mentioned, Eric will be available up here. I'll be at the Next Steps area if you have any questions about anything. Otherwise, God bless you as you go. If if you're new here today and I haven't met you yet, I'd love the opportunity. God bless you.